are Locked On Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Huda Nation and Huda family? Welcome into a fresh week here at Locked On Saints, brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ross Jackson here at Ross Jackson and OLA on Twitter, editor over at CanalStreetChronicles.com, and your host covering your New Orleans Saints every single Monday through Friday. Today's episode of Locked On Saints is brought to you, as always, by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. Great taste, no guilt. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On to get $10 off of your first box. Now, we have to kick off the week here with the big news from over the weekend. The Saints have released offensive lineman Larry Warford. You got the bonus episode on Friday afternoon, but let's dig a little bit deeper today into why Larry Warford was on the outs and what the Saints have in store in his place. Then I'm joined by Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers to talk Packers Saints offseason outlook to open up the NFC North crossover series for this week. And finally, we'll take a deeper look at the Saints 2020 schedule and talk about why, even though they have a three-game road trip, their travel schedule is still very favorable. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints, your team every day. Last week, the Saints released offensive lineman Larry Warford, and when you look back at his tape from 2019, it's no mystery why they made that decision. It's our New Orleans Saints lead story of the day today with Ross Jackson of Locked on Saints. I think when people talk about Larry Warford being released, the most common thing that they like to cite is interior pass rush. You look at games like the Atlanta Falcons game and the Minnesota Vikings game, and that is very much a big reason and a big part of the reason that Larry Warford ended up becoming, I'll say, expendable, as Kat Terrell mentioned over at The Athletic in a very, very good article over there talking about why it is that Larry Warford did indeed become a piece that the Saints felt like they could replace, especially after the draft. But why did the Saints make the decision to go out and draft an interior offensive lineman in the first place has just as much to do with the run game as it does with pass protection where Larry Warford struggled. Simply put, there were a lot of times where Warford simply lacked the wherewithal to work in the Saints zone blocking scheme. Now let's talk a little bit about zone blocking versus power or man blocking, which the latter is very much where Larry Warford excels. The latter is very much I line up at my position and the guy that's in front of me or whoever my assignment is, is who I go after. That's who I put my hands on and say, hey, you're not getting to my running back. That's what power blocking is. So if you're, let's say, the left guard in this instance, and you have a uh, a defensive tackle that's lined up over the top of you, that's your guy. That's where you're going. That's who you put hands on. That's your assignment. Sometimes it ends up being a double team if the center doesn't have anywhere else to go, or the center will chip and then move up to the second level. But when you look at what the Saints like to do in their run game, even though sometimes they do go power blocking and Larry Warford did actually excel many times that I saw a power blocking scheme or a man blocking scheme in the run game on his tape, he really struggled in the zone blocking area, which is where I noticed most of his sort of, I'll call them flaws in the games. Let's really just call them lapses in the games because it really is an example of mental processing, an example of explosion, and sometimes an example of speed or all the things that you have to have, especially short area quickness when it comes to zone blocking. In zone blocking, instead of having a man or having a person that's directly in front of you and that's who it is that you're blocking, you're more so concerned with an area 
area or a gap. So let's say that you're the left guard and you have a defensive tackle lined up over the top of you. Just because he's lined over up over the top of you doesn't mean that he's your man. It depends on where your gap is. If your gap is to the A gap over on your left side, but that defensive tackle goes to your right shoulder, then he becomes someone else's man and you are focused on whether it be the linebacker that's blitzing the A gap or maybe even another defensive tackle that's wrapped around to attack the A gap over on the right side of the center, your left side. It is a little bit more of a complicated system because it does require, again, some quick mental processing, something that Cesar Ruiz, for instance, has been complimented on several, several times over and over again. Same thing for Eric McCoy when he was drafted last year out of Texas A&M and his successful year with the Saints in 2019. The other element, aside from mental processing that this requires, is athleticism, explosion, speed off the line of scrimmage, because you do have to take a read step. You don't just attack directly at your man in zone blocking. You take a step to the left or right, whichever is the play side, that requires a little bit of agility. Then you make your read, which requires that mental processing, and then you attack, which requires explosion. All of those things, even all the way back to this combine testing, you could see a lack of when it came to Larry Warford's game. 5'5", 840, which means a lack of speed, 22 and a half inch vertical and a 96 inch broad jump. The combination of both of those things show you a lack of explosion. Look at some of the other interior offensive linemen that the Saints have right now. Andrus Pete, as much as people don't like him, 5'1", 840, much faster, 31 inch vertical with a 105 inch broad jump, much more explosive. You can even look at a guy like Will Clapp, who's in there, who has a 97-inch broad jump, which isn't far off of Larry Warford's 96, but you look at his 29-inch vertical and his 5.39 speed, and you can see where the Saints like what he brings to the zone-blocking scheme. Will Clapp is actually a really interesting one here because you can look back at last year's tape and you can see the big run play that the Saints ran against the Tennessee Titans that resulted in a 40-yard touchdown by Alvin Kamara. That was with Will Clapp in the game. They ran that exact same play earlier in the season in their first matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and guess who got the stop? And Dominican Sue. And guess whose man that ended up being because of the zone blocking scheme? Larry Warford. Now, how do the guys in terms of athletic testing compare that may be replacing Larry Warford? Eric McCoy, a 4.8940, one of the fastest offensive linemen in the combine last year. 31-inch vertical jump and a 107-inch broad jump. Cesar Ruiz had a 5.08-second 40-yard dash, a 33-inch vertical jump, and a 113-inch broad jump. So all of the things that Larry Warford lacked is what led to his release, and all the things that Larry Warford lacked are exactly what the replacements have the ability to achieve, especially with both of these guys in Eric McCoy and Cesar Ruiz being credited consistently on their mental processing abilities, an area that you saw Larry Warford struggle with both in the passing game and in the run game throughout 2019 more than you may have seen in 2017 and 2018. Probably a big reason that the Saints were pretty concerned about the trend of his play, which was trending downward as opposed to uh, getting better or even just remaining the same. So I'll probably do a little bit of a film study looking at both of those plays that I mentioned, the run play against the Bucks and the run play against the Titans over at the Locked on Saints Facebook group at some point this week. So if you want to be a part of that, just jump in facebook.com slash group slash locked on saints request to join and we'll get you in probably do that uh maybe wednesday or thursday just to take a little bit of a deeper look at what i'm talking about in terms of that zone run scheme so if you're interested join the group and we'll talk about it a little bit more in depth later on this week all right y'all coming up next we got peter bukowski of the locked on packers podcast to talk packers saints offseason outlook and that's going to kick off our nfc north crossover series much like what you heard with the afc west last week just with the other division that the saints are playing against in the 
2020 season. So start with the Packers, and then tomorrow we'll move over to the Lions. Wednesday is the Bears, and then Thursday we'll close off with those dreaded, dreaded Vikings. So it's going to be a lot of fun this week with those. And then Friday will be our usual, you know, finish up, wrap up the week, and then get your questions from the Locked on Saints Facebook group. So we'll get into that next, followed by an in-depth look at the Saints road schedule and why even though the three-game road trip might be there, there's still some silver linings in the way that their schedule is laid out. Got that coming up for you next year on Locked on Saints, your team every day. Don't forget, y'all, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Y'all know how much I love these Built Bars. They taste incredible. Ordered my second box the other day. David Harrison, James Yarko, and Cody Roark of uh, Locked On Bucks and Locked On Broncos, respectively, were on Twitter the other day talking about all of our favorite flavors. So I thought I'd give you my top three in the Mint Brownie Delight, the Peanut Butter Brownie, and the Banana Nut Bread, which are all just incredible in terms of flavor and incredible in terms of their value as well. 15 grams of protein, hundred, you know, around 110 calories and only four grams of sugar. So they pack all that flavor, all of that profile in there without sacrificing any of the health benefits that come with a fantastic protein bar. And now you can go and build your own box from your own flavors and tell me which ones you think are your favorite. But when you go to build that box at builtbar.com, make sure you use the promo code locked on to get $10 off of your first order. Use promo code locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for $10 off at builtbar.com. All right, y'all. NFC North crossover now officially underway. Joined by Peter Bukowski here from Locked On Packers. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can also find his work over at SB Nation and Pro Football Weekly as well. So enjoy as we had a lot of fun talking through Packers Saints. Talked a little bit about each draft class, each key additions. Talked a little bit about Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, of course, as well. So enjoy as we officially kick off the NFC North crossover series. Uh, and it's been a fun offseason for both of these teams, too. And like you mentioned, sort of in different ways or sort of in their own way, but uh, not a ton of changeover. But the changeover that's been around is certainly uh, noteworthy, I guess I'll say. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the the Packers for a little bit more, uh, I was going to say salacious. That's not quite right, but a little bit more <laughs> s- sensational reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Saints, just because the Saints are going to be really good again. And I think there are similar questions with Drew Brees. How much longer is he going to play? They now have approximately 16 backup quarterbacks in New Orleans. I think right. they have as many backup QBs as the Bears have tight ends. And <laughs> they're they're pushing their chips in. The Packers maybe didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of an interesting thing, particularly when it came to that draft and the selection of Jordan Love. I mean, of course, over for the Saints, there was a lot of conversation about Jordan Love potentially being an option for New Orleans as the uh, heir apparent. They had interest in him, reportedly. yeah, yeah, they were very, they uh, spent a lot of time with him over the offseason or during pre-draft meetings and everything, but eventually passed on him to add to the offensive line to sort of give a little bit more help right now to uh, Drew Brees. And then, of course, in the future, whether it be Taysom Hill or the newest New Orleans Saint, can't believe I'm actually going to, I get to say this, but the newest New Orleans Saint, Jameis Winston, which is another huge talking point yeah. in terms of what's going on in the Saints land right now. Because if you would have told me a couple years ago that the Saints would be uh, losing Teddy Bridgewater in free agency to the Carolina Panthers only to add Jameis Winston as a third string quarterback on a $1.1 million contract. I don't know if I would have believed you, Peter. I'm not sure I would have believed that. And that Taysom Hill is making approximately 10 times what Jameis is going to get in 2020. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, exactly right. Exactly right. If I'd have told you that, time. you'd have had me committed. You'd have called, yeah, you'd right. have called somebody. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, he's on a two-year, $21 million contract, but $8 million guaranteed per year at 16 total in terms of his guarantees. And uh, you know, you can look at that and look at the fact that Teddy Bridgewater was paid last year at 7.25, one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid, I believe, backup in the NFL at the time. And now all of a sudden, you've got Taysom Hill holding that uh, holding that reign. And uh, a lot of that comes down to what his responsibilities are, of course, as a backup quarterback, but also how he contributes all on the offensive side. So a lot of options for the Saints there. And uh, curious to know uh, from you, is there an option to get Jordan Love involved in the Taysom Hill? No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. But it seems that everybody, <laughs> it seems that Matt, every Matt team, Ford almost every actually team. asked about that in, in the press oh, conference. Really? He was asked, How'd that could go? you see? He said, you know, I haven't even thought about it. Um, but he he didn't he certainly didn't close the door on it. Um, I, I would be shocked if the Packers did something like that. But at the same time, certainly. like who knows? I, I wish I was shocked <laughs> they picked Jordan Love. So I, I feel like I'm I'm flying blind on this a little bit. Like I, there's a 100 percent chance we see the Eagles use Jalen Hurts like Taysom Hill, right? And, exactly, and we know yeah. we know the Saints are going to use Taysom Hill the way that the Saints use Taysom Hill. I mean, they could put a bunch of guys on the field who could all throw a pass. It's it's kind of like the the nerd analytics wet dream of, of what you can do on the field and just say, and look, there's no question Sean Payton is is burning the midnight oil trying to figure out ways to do this because that's just who he is. That's yep. the kind of coach he is. He just he it's exciting to him to think about this kind of stuff. And and that's the kind of coach you want. I think a lot of Packer fans for a long time have been jealous of what Sean Payton has brought to Drew Brees because the feeling at least is that Mike McCarthy never did that for Aaron Rodgers. And mm -hmm. if he had, he'd still be in green Bay probably. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree. I mean, it, you know, we saw a little bit or we've seen over the years sort of a, a, a lot of, information coming from Green Bay and coming from, you know, beat writers and everything around that surround. And of course, all the great work that you've done as well all over uh, in terms of, you know, how do we build around Aaron Rodgers? And Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show talking about it'd be great if they drafted some skill position players and things like that. And, uh, you know, they got A.J. Dillon, which I think is, <laughs> which I think really tips the hat towards where it is that that, uh, that front office led. But do you feel like they, they still haven't to this point really uh, continued to build around Aaron Rodgers? Or do you see that changing with Matt LaFleur in the building? I think the how is different. It's not mm -hmm. the what, because they're still building around Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they didn't take a defensive player in this draft until the fifth round. Right. Um, and then the fourth round pick is used to move up to get Jordan Love. So, no, the Love pick is not meant to, to bolster Aaron Rodgers, but it certainly is aimed at bolstering the offense in the long term. Um, when Matt LaFleur says, and he's been saying this since day one, since they hired him in Green Bay, he believes that the running game and then the ability to play action pass makes a quarterback's life easier. And we we know that second part is true with play action because play action has consistently over the last decade plus been the most efficient play in football. So mm -hmm. we we know that, you know, we don't have to get into the minutia of do you have to have a good run game to have a good play action game. But I think when the Packers do a thing like add A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara as versatile big pieces who can be a factor in the run game and the passing game, that is aimed at bolstering the offense with Aaron Rodgers, not that they're going to suddenly be some team that only throws it 45% of the time 
because that's how they want to play. I think a lot of the reporting or what I would consider more speculating about what the Packers plan is, is, is wrong. It's more about wanting to be able to play more like the 49ers where you can put 11 personnel on the field, or you can put 12 personnel on the field. You can put 22 personnel on the field. I was just watching um, Packers Washington and they had 13, they had three tight ends on the field, a bunch. Right. And, mm-hmm. and they did some really fun, interesting stuff with it. They want to be able to throw from big personnel. And last year they couldn't because Jimmy Graham, not oh, very sorry. good anymore. Sorry, man. <laughs> I know. Well, and and rest in the most piece to the Bears offense now. Right. But, <laughs> but you know, when you look at what the 49ers can do, and, and you guys saw it firsthand in New Orleans, yep. their yep. ability to play big and still throw because they have George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk on the field. The Packers couldn't do that last year. What's the feeling right now in terms of the load share between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and how that might play into the favor of this Packers offense? Well, I think what what A.J. Dillon allows you to do is, you know, Matt LaFleur at the Combine this year said they need to find a third running back that they believe in. Clearly, that's not Dexter Williams, at least Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I still really like the talent for Dexter Williams and talent has never been a question for him. It's always been the mental side, the maturity questions. And uh, you'd really hope someone as talented as him could could, you know, have the light bulb go Mm -hmm. on for him. Um, But A.J. Dillon, you know, Jamal Williams is in the last year of his deal, too. He was a very effective player for the Packers last year, Mm -hmm. can pass protect. He's better in the passing game than I think he gets credit for just as a screen game. And and this is this is the point that I've been trying to make about A.J. Dillon. Mm -hmm. Jamal Williams was a very productive player for the Packers last year in the passing game without ever splitting out and running routes because you can do it in the screen game. You can do it on mm. swing passes. You can do it on checkdowns. When you are someone as big and physical and as athletic as AJ Dillon is just get him the ball, right? The, he doesn't, I don't think he has to be able to split out wide and do the things that Alvin Kamara can do because Aaron Jones can do those things. So mm-hmm. to me, AJ Dillon is a third running back in 2020 and eventually the partner in crime for Aaron Jones moving forward. I think this this signals that they'd like to pay Aaron Jones, but that they'd like him to be in more of a, a running back by committee role. They let Jamal Williams walk and and move forward with Dillon and just keep it rolling because Aaron Jones has proven and we saw it last year that he has mm-hmm. that sort of Camaro like ability to be able to, to be so impactful in the passing game that. He really is almost like a receiver out there. Yeah, when I talk about uh, the Alvin Kamara extension, for instance, and we talk about the running backs around the league that do sort of factor into the potential extension for Alvin Kamara, of course, guys like Derek Henry and Christian McCaffrey, his new deal come to mind. But I'm also very curious, and I have my eyes on Aaron Jones and how whichever one of them gets a deal done first how it ends up affecting the other because those two, unlike Derrick Henry, for instance, and unlike Christian McCaffrey, are probably going to see a little bit more of a running back by committee focus for the foreseeable future. And so those are the two that I'm really, really interested to see about how their contracts affect and compare to one another, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and I actually used the the Camara com- or the comparison with him the other day because I said, you know, look, I don't think it's a coincidence that the the time where he was being asked to shoulder a little bit more of the load mm-hmm. ended up in injury yeah because he was a part-time back at Tennessee He's, he was a part-time back in New Orleans for most of his career what you want to do with someone like that is you want to have a hammer and you want Kamara to be this this slasher and you don't want to to waste the hits on his body 
mm-hmm. with it as an inside runner, even though, of course, he can do it. So yeah. I, I think that is the same sort of idea for the Packers with A.J. Dillon, you know, the the getting that that hammer back to allow Aaron Jones to do more of those things in the passing game um, that that make him so potent and make him so unique. And, and that is where Kamara is at his best as well. That, there really are a lot, a lot of similarities between these two teams. They really and, are. And the, the more we talk, the more I'm, I'm just realizing it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great. This is the first time you and I have really gotten to actually sit down and go in depth about the similarities between these yeah. two, but the franchises are very, very similar in terms of situation that they're in. I do want to ask you, though, a little bit, you know, we mentioned that the uh, Packers didn't select a defensive player until the fifth round. Clearly, that defense was fantastic last year. However, at this point, is there anything that stands out to you in terms of a place on that defense that could still use some improvement? Yeah, I think, you know, for the most part, it is that um, that interior defensive line. <laughs> and if, if there was a spot where they could have improved a little bit more than they did in the draft, that's a, a place that I thought they would have looked. But um, they, they signed Trevon Hester from the Eagles, who I think is mm-hmm. an underrated player. Um, Gerald Willis is a guy who also has big time talent out of Miami, but but has some some maturity and attitude concerns as well. I like those moves for the Packers. I think those are underrated moves. I think those guys can be better than, you know, Tyler Lancaster. Right. Um, but but that would be the the question because Mike Patton wants to play nickel at biggest. Mm-hmm. He'd really like to play dime all the time if, <laughs> if he had his way. So, yeah. you know, being a little bit better up front would make that a lot easier. It's going to make Christian Kirksey's life easier if they can be better up front. So, that's the spot for me. All right, y'all. Big thank you to Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers for joining us on today's show. Had a blast talking with him. Again, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. And of course, you can follow Locked On Packers at Locked On Packers as well if you want to keep up with what they've got going on through the rest of the offseason entering camp and all that good stuff ahead of the season. But we're not done here today. Let's jump over next to talk about the Saints travel schedule. So the Saints will be hosting the Packers, but let's talk a little bit more about what their schedule looks like on the road and why even though they have that three game road trip they may actually end up having a pretty favorable schedule for some pretty key notes we'll talk about that next year on locked on saints your team every day all right, y'all, time to start the competition with people important in your mom's life. Mother's Day is her Super Bowl, so celebrate this Mother's Day, even if you're a little bit late, by scoring her favorite gift of the day. Your mom will be able to travel in her mind to idyllic India, sample the food, and laugh at the perils of raising a teenager in the 1950s India through a new book of fiction called The Hannah Artist. By the way, it's Reese Witherspoon's book club's pick of May, then anytime in May, Post a picture of your mom or you holding the ebook or book on Instagram or Facebook and tag the author at the Alka Joshi. A donation of four meals per post, up to 10,000 meals, will go to Feeding America. So, y'all, if you haven't bought the book already or if you happen to be looking for a belated Mother's Day gift because you need to win her over, this is the book to do it. You can find it at all of your favorite booksellers, including Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, and Target, and make your mom the ultimate winner in your family. All right, y'all, closing out today's episode with a quick look at the Saints schedule. So we're jumping back to the Saints schedule here, not because I want to look at strength of schedule or anything like that. I don't agree with the way that strength of schedule is more commonly utilized and more commonly determined. I mean, looking back at the 2019 win percentage to try to dictate what's going to happen in 2020 just 
rarely works. Uh, Warren Sharp over at sharpfootballstats.com, who I trust immensely with his work, looked at that and really went in depth and found, uh, you know, like 3.9% of the time <laughs> that you can actually predict the following year's schedule based on the previous year's schedule. And I think when he narrowed the the field down from five years to three years, it was like 5.9 or something like that. So not really a reliable way to look at the 2020 season. One of the ways that Warren Sharp looks at it is by looking at the win-loss totals as predicted by uh, Vegas, and then taking all of that, which is more of a future outlook as opposed to a, an outlook from the past, and it applies those win-loss records to each team's uh, schedule, and then determines strength of schedule based on that. You know, looking and projecting based upon the changes that the teams have made, as opposed to what the old team used to look like. So just something to consider, but there's something in particular that I like to look at when I get the schedule, and it's road games, road trips, and travel distance. So we know that the Saints have one of two three-game road trips in the NFL. Uh, They didn't have this last year, and and it is pretty rare, but they also did have it in 2018 and fared pretty well. They went two and one. They lost the third game straight up, which tends to be what usually happens against the spread, at least in these games, is that it ends up being a straight-up loss on that third game of the series. So that's really the one to watch out for in Philadelphia based upon how they play in the earlier two games against Denver and then at Atlanta. So there's that. But the other thing I like to look at is travel distance. How far do the Saints have to travel for their games in terms of air miles? So I looked this up and I just looked basically from MSY to any visiting or to any team that they would be visiting nearest airport to their stadium. That That's the way that I did it. So my numbers might be, you know, once CBS releases their official numbers and everything, it might be, you know, 12, 13, 15, 50 miles off, but not by enough to really be a wide enough margin to be concerned here. So if my numbers are a touch off, it's not that big of a deal. I looked through the whole system from last year and the year before, and I was able to come within, you know, 12 to 15 miles. So not that big of a deal. So you're looking at two ways, two way travel anywhere you go. So if you go somewhere that's like, let's say Seattle, which is 2,086 miles away, you have to double that. So that makes it over 4,000 miles in terms of what that travel distance is. But the key thing to watch out for is 2,000 miles of travel distance on a one-way trip. You remember last year, the Saints had the uh, LA Rams And then following that, they had the Seattle Seahawks. Now, if they would have gone to L.A., back to New Orleans, and then went to Seattle, they would have had one 2,000-mile trip because they would have had that 2,000-mile trip to go to Seattle. But instead, they flew to L.A., they played in L.A., then they flew to uh, Seattle, or they flew to Washington, they stayed in Washington, and then they played Seattle later on in the following week. So they cut their travel distance by over like 1,400 miles or something like that, which was huge for them because they were already one of the teams that were pretty low in terms of travel miles. They were 18th in the NFL. By cutting that trip down the way that they did and going from LA to Seattle as opposed to New Orleans to Seattle, because not only did they cut the distance off between New Orleans and Seattle, they also cut the travel time back from LA to New Orleans. So they ended up cutting out one half of a trip and then cutting another trip 
in half, which was a huge win for the Saints and obviously fared well for them because they won that second game on that back-to-back West Coast visit. So let's take a look at the 2020 schedule. The Saints have no 2,000-mile games. And the reason why I bring this up is because when you have to travel that far for a game in the NFL, you tend to lose a .398 win average, 39.8% in terms of how often a team actually travels over 2,000 miles and wins a game. And yes, that includes those London games as well when both teams have to travel that far. So even the numbers are a little bit skewed in what could be their favor. But when you look at it, it's a huge deal, a huge deal. Because when you look at it, on the other hand, of teams that traveled less than a thousand miles, that win percentage jumps up to 43%, which is a big time leap. So when you look at the Saints schedule, they have three games where they have to travel over a thousand miles, but have no games at all where they travel 2000 or more. That's a big win for New Orleans. And in fact, when you look at their travel distance, all told, they only travel 13,954 miles. Last year, they traveled just over 14,000, and that put them around 18th in the NFL. So the Saints should be relatively around the same place where it comes to travel miles in this season. You look at a team like the, or you look at teams rather, like the NFC West, who have to travel over 25,000 miles in some cases for their season, and that's huge. The Saints, 12,000 travel miles less. They nearly double or half some of the travel miles of some of the NFC West opponents. So this is a big deal for New Orleans. And there's still an opportunity for them to cut some of this travel distance down because they can cut out one of their longer trips, which is to Philadelphia, 1,090 miles one way. If they ended up going directly to Philadelphia from Atlanta in the bridge of that second to third road trip. And that would help them because it is that third game in that road trip where where teams, again, tend to lose straight up. So with that being the case, if the Saints decide that they want to do that, they could cut off nearly 800 miles of travel just by going directly from Atlanta to Philadelphia and then end up also cutting out the travel time back from Atlanta and then off to Philadelphia as well. So they would cut a large portion of their travel miles or travel distance rather down. Now, the Saints' longest one-way travel that they have to take is going to be to Las Vegas, but it's early in the season at week two, 1,500 miles from New Orleans to Las Vegas in terms of airport to airport and air miles. But that is still way under that 2,000-mile threshold. The only other 1,000-mile trips that they have are the first game of that three-game road trip to Denver, 1,069 miles, and nice. And then to close out the road trip as well to Philadelphia, 1,090 miles, which they could cut down should they decide to. They may not. They may still, you know, it's just to Atlanta and back. So they are very used to that trip. So I could see them going to Atlanta, then back to New Orleans, and then to Philly later on in the following week. But if they wanted to cut it down, they do have an opportunity there to save themselves some serious travel miles and make that travel schedule even more favorable, despite the three-game road trip that they have in the 2020 season. So I know I definitely just nerded out all over about this uh, travel distance thing, but it is something that I really like to look at, and I do find it's a little bit more predictive than, you know, the strength of schedule. If you're interested, the standard strength of schedule has the Saints at 24th strongest schedule in the NFL. That's looking back at the uh, previous win percentage total for all of the Saints opponents, which were 125, 130, and one last year. So a 49% win percentage. And then Warren Sharp, in terms of projecting forward and looking at the uh, looking at the Vegas odds, then the Saints are 23rd in the NFL. So it's not that much of a division, but some of the other key intricacies like the three-game road trip and the travel distance can 
really end up being the determining factor in a season. There's also some other stuff like coming off the bye week and the Thursday night games, or I guess in, in the Saints case, the Friday night games and things like that. So we'll look a little bit more in depth at those win percentages and the trends that we can find in that as we move throughout the week as well, digging a little bit deeper into the schedule as promised. But we'll also continue with our NFC North crossover series and continue to keep you up to date with everything that's going on with your New Orleans Saints. Thank you so much, everybody, as always, for coming through. That's going to do it for today's episode. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. Tell your friends, family, and fellow Saints fans about the show. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe, drop that five-star rating and review. I thank you so much for all your support and for helping me grow this family. This has been Locked on Saints and Trust Who That Nation. I'll holla at you.